0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. This season, we're taking a look at the impacts of the pandemic on our working lives and what work will look like in this new normal. As many of us grapple with how, when, and if we should return to the office, there is another question that you may be considering. Is it possible to get a promotion or even a new job if you continue to work remotely? Joining me to discuss how to advance in your career when you are working from home is Dory Clark. Dory is an author, professor of business at Duke and Columbia, and a contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. Dory, thank you so much for being here.
1: Kate, thanks for having me.
0: So before we talk about how to advance in your career when you're working from home, let's back up a little bit and talk about deciding if you should work from home. So say your employer is allowing everyone to choose whether they return to the office, either full-time, hybrid, or not at all. What kind of considerations should an employee make when they're deciding, depending on maybe like where they are in their career, if they should go back to the office full-time, not at all,
1: hybrid, Well, obviously, the starting point is what are the literal constraints that you're operating under? If your family has decided for personal reasons, maybe you need to be closer to relatives, maybe there's a a clear lifestyle choice that everyone is in agreement with, then you need to figure out what works around that. Okay, now I'm in Nebraska and my employer is in New York. Clearly, I'm going to be remote. But if you're in a position where there's not a compelling and strong reason that is forcing the issue, then it is useful to begin to ask yourself some questions. One is understanding what the culture of the organization is turning into. So for instance, What about your boss? This is going to be a crucial measure for you. They are the person who theoretically is mentoring you, is recommending you for advancement and evaluating you. Are they going to be in the office five days a week? If they are, it becomes a little bit harder. It's not impossible, but it's a little bit harder if you are fully remote because they're just going to be on a different page and a different schedule than you. So it's worth taking that into account. If they're remote as well, then you're essentially on a level playing field. Also, looking more broadly, how do things appear to be shaking out? What is recommended versus mandated? If we're looking for a general rule of thumb, if other people in the company, especially senior people, are spending all or some of their time on premises, It's probably better and easier for you to do the same thing because you will be able to have more casual and organic interactions with them. But again, if other lifestyle or financial considerations intervene and you really want or need to be remote, it's not impossible. You just need to put more thought into how this is going to shake out and how you're going to ensure that you're properly relationship building and cultivating your networks rather than letting it slip because you're out of sight, out of mind.
0: I think that's really useful, you know, kind of taking the temperature of what the rest of the company is doing. And you mentioned managers. I know there's a lot of like office enthusiast people who really couldn't wait to get back and say your manager is like that and a lot of like upper management's like that, but your coworkers are increasingly being remote. Do you think that makes a difference?
1: Certainly that's a a piece of it to see what your coworkers and collaborators are doing. Because when you're on a team, Again there's microclimates within a company right if we think if we think of this as an ecosystem just like planet earth there's the company ecosystem but then within it is the team ecosystem and individual teams might actually behave differently than the broader company and so understanding how things are going to work and play out moving forward is really useful if your leader has essentially given carte blanche to everybody and they are going to be Remote first, or if they have signaled, you will not be penalized. We are going to consciously make sure that we are treating everyone the same. If they are beating that drum and you sincerely believe them, then that might change the calculus as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in those scenarios, it does feel easier, right? If they're sending a really strong message that it's okay to work from home, we're not going to penalize you. And a lot of people are doing it, like that decision feels a lot more comfortable when it's you're the only one you know your circumstances as you said you don't really have that luxury of making that choice you you moved and you have to be remote when when you're kind of the only one that i feel like is the trickiest right i mean i think the the most obvious way to promote yourself and advance in your career that we've heard the traditional advice when you are actually there. So let's talk about the two other scenarios, the one where you're hybrid, the one where you're in the office sometimes, and the the one where you're completely remote. You know, we've heard, and I think you said already, the old adage, out of sight, out of mind. How do you stay in your manager's mind and especially not just keep your job, but advance in your job if you're either there part-time or if you're there no time at all?
1: Yeah, so with a part-time example first, the overarching goal, whether you're fully remote or part-time, is now you have to be really conscious of things that, you know. frankly, when you were in the office, you didn't have to think about that much because they just happened. They just took care of themselves, which is the kind of natural bump into you sort of relationship building. So if you are hybrid and you're in the office two days a week, three days a week, ultimately, you are going to want to make those days count. So some of the things you'll want to think about is, number one, what are the days that my colleagues are in the office? Because it's not like you really get a lot of credit for being the one person in the office on Thanksgiving. Like, no one else is there. They don't care. So you want to try to coordinate it because the whole premise of coming into the office is not to you know water your plants every week the premise is that you're going to be interacting in person with other people so try to make sure that you are coordinating in that fashion the next piece is actually think about Making use of your break time. So things like breakfast or lunch or coffee breaks. Again, these are things that back in 2019, it was easy to be like, oh, hey, <laughs> oh, who's around for lunch? Okay, oh, do you want to have lunch? And it just worked itself out. Nowadays, things require more planning. It's not going to just work itself out. You actually want to look at your calendar the week before and say, all right, what days am I going to be in the office? Who else is going to be in the office that day? Oh, I haven't seen Kate in a while. Let me reach out now and make a plan so that we can grab coffee at three o'clock and catch up on things because you have to be conscious about these touch points. Who do I need to meet with? Who haven't I seen in a while? And I feel like I don't, I'm don't. i out of touch with what they're working on. Those are things you need to be very precise about planning. And similarly, if you're in a remote scenario where you're pretty much not seeing anybody at all, except for maybe you know once or twice a year, all hands meetings or something like that, then you really need to think this through and be proactive. No one's gonna do this for you. You have to be the one suggesting it, to suggest a, a Zoom coffee or, or something like that so that you can have regular catch-up sessions and not just rely on the kind of regular calendar of meetings. If all you're doing is just, oh, well, I saw her because we're in a meeting together. Well, first of all, it's not really a high-quality interaction. Typically, there's a lot of people. You're focused on other things. And also, it's very transactional. It's like, well, Kate, you know, where's that thing you promised me? I need that thing. It's not like I'm really evincing a lot of care that way. You know, it's just I need what I need. And also, I am not really getting a sense of you or what's going on in your life. So we have to carve that out specifically and request it of people.
0: Since I asked you a compound question, I'm going to take two of your answers there. I think you're spot on with the hybrid example. You know, I'm fully remote now, but before the pandemic and everything, I was kind of hybrid and I designed my days very intentionally, exactly like you said, of Well, what days am I going to have meetings? Those are the days that I'm going to be in the office. I'm going to load those days with meetings. They're basically going to be nothing but meetings. And then the days that I'm at home are going to be my focus work days where I'm writing and editing and that sort of thing. That's actually harder to do in the office when, you know, especially in a newsroom when you're hearing everybody talking and we're in an open office and you hear everything. I think, you know, for a lot of people, hybrid does feel like the best of both worlds and you can make it the best of both worlds if you are, as you say, really intentional about making the most of your in-office time. For the fully remote example i wonder how you know everybody talks about zoom fatigue and the last thing anybody wants on their calendar is like another zoom meeting you know you mentioned you should have these like one on one kind of coffees on zoom how do you make those feel not like oh my god another zoom meeting a, and B, how do you make them not so awkward? You know, like, I guess when you go for coffee with somebody, it's just it's by nature more casual. And when you are on a Zoom, it seems like, OK, well, what's the agenda? What are we going to talk about? Let's get this out of the way. You know, how do you make a, a remote Zoom informal chat feel not awkward?
1: Yeah, this is a really important question because it's true. I mean, all of us now are on these video calls 12 hours a day or something ridiculous. And. It was relatively infrequent before COVID, and now this is like pretty much our whole life. In the early days you know, we can all sort of remember this. This was a novelty. It was like, oh, I get to have Zoom puzzles with my extended family. Wow. And and Zoom happy hours. Yeah. And like
0: everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very novel, very exciting. And then after like two months, we're like, never again. (laughs) So it's true that on the surface, it might seem like, oh, the last thing I would want is another Zoom call. But I think there's a couple of things at play. The first is that, If you are genuinely in a situation where you don't know somebody that well and you want to get to know them and you are remote, they typically understand, oh, there's not going to be another way for me to get to know this person. And presumably the person on the other end gets it, that it would be useful for them to know you too. Like, oh, it's a new colleague. Like, yeah, I'm going to be dealing with this person for like years. So I really probably should build some kind of a relationship So they are incented as well. It's also really useful to just be totally upfront. You know, you can say, Oh, hey, you know, Kate, congrats on starting at, at Fast Company. I'd really love to get to know you. Of course, it would be better if we could do it in person. But as you know, I live in Nebraska. So would you be open to having a you know a Zoom chat with me and I can just learn a little bit more about you? You know, most people are not going to be jerks and be like, no, sorry, Dory. <laughs> and like they're going to be like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And they'll appreciate the sentiment that, you know, they get it, right? And the thing that you can actually do for people that you know better, once you've established a relationship, I actually find this sort of funny. You know, this is like one of these ironic trends that I I think is sort of like why bizarrely vinyl records remain popular. I'm like, who, what, why? Like, but, you know, people love the, the sort of classic old school kind of thing. What I have discovered during the pandemic is that how well I know someone actually inversely correlates with the likelihood I will do a Zoom call. For the people that I'm close with, I'm not zooming with them. That's that, Zoom is a business meeting. Mm. I am talking to them on the telephone. For my best friends, it is literally always a telephone call. And so I think that we can actually, for people we want to have more casual catch-ups with, you know, if you have a good sort of long-standing relationship with them or you're built it. You can actually suggest a call, which enables you then to do things like take a walk while you have a call or something a little bit less formal.
0: I feel like you were reading my mind because as you were talking about like, oh, you'll have a Zoom or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but not if you know the person. And I'm thinking exactly the same, like during the pandemic, you know, like a lot of people, I kind of reconnected with friends that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And they would be on these long walks where I would talk on the phone for a long time. And that's, yeah, when you know somebody better. Yeah, you don't need to kind of have the video element, I guess. And and it was interesting. I was talking to a, a friend this weekend who and we were talking about working remotely. And I said, you know, I feel kind of isolated. I don't like see anybody that I used to work with. I only see them, you know, like Zoom chats. And she said, oh, my closest coworkers. we just like have a weekly call, like a phone call, where we just kind of like kibitz about, you know, the type of stuff that we would have kibitzed about in the office. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. And that's not advancing in your career. That's not really like networking, but it's that like keeping those, you know, close informal relationships going. And you're right. Like the phone feels less of a commitment than Zoom.
1: Totally, yes.
0: Speaking of networking, though, you've written and talked a lot about networking, which is a crucial way, obviously, to grow in your career, both inside your company and outside if you're looking to change companies or change careers. How can you network remotely? Because networking, I know to a lot of people, is like horribly awkward to begin with in person and sounds probably even more horribly awkward remotely.
1: Yeah, this is a a big question. And it's one that you know, we all intuitively knew was the case that during COVID our focus narrowed, right? The whole point of a pandemic is like, you can't trust strangers. And so we're not exactly going out like, oh, let's meet lots of new people. We narrowed our zones. I mean, the good news about COVID is for many of us, we reconnected with dormant ties. Like all of a sudden, everybody's like, I need to call my sorority sisters from 15 years ago. Like that was a thing, which is great. That's important for both our personal well-being and sometimes for our networking. People reconnected with folks from their past in various capacities, relatives, things like that but it meant that what we were missing out on, the part that we lost, was meeting new people. And so there was just research out a couple of weeks ago from Microsoft where they analyzed this and they discovered that yes, in fact, it was correct, among the connections that they were analyzing amongst their you know many many thousands of employees and team members was that new connections dropped off significantly but connections within teams tightened during covid so i think most of us can sort of recognize that in ourselves so that's great let's appreciate it for what it is okay the teams are working hard they're coordinating but also you can't keep doing the same thing forever. This is not a sustainable pattern over time to never talk to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so how do we rebalance? How do we shift back into a mode of more openness so we're actually connecting with new people? Well, there, there's a, a few possibilities that we can do. And again, this is not hard in a literal sense, but it may be psychologically hard for people who are just not used to being proactive about this or just like, well, it just happens. Guess what? In the remote world, nothing just happens. We've got to make it happen. So it's it's really like kind of turning a switch about how we think about things. But just by way of example, during COVID, something that I did actually pretty frequently with a colleague of mine named Alyssa Cohn is we would do Zoom cocktail parties. Now, again, you know, asterisk, the novelty has sort of worn off of this. However, we are still in a phase now i mean i've had dinner parties and you know this is kind of a thing and it a little bit waxes and wanes based on people's level of stress about different variants and things like that. But, you know, we're coming back to that a little bit, but honestly, people are still patchy about whether that's okay for them or not. And so the hybrid networking mode, I think will remain. You can't necessarily get people to agree all the time, but I'm planning to continue retaining virtual cocktail parties as an on is a periodic ongoing strategy because there was one key benefit that I realized, which is previously All my networking was in New York. It was either with people who were living in New York, or you know, I might meet them. They might sound great, but basically, my answer was just like, "Well, let me know when you're in New York." (laughs) You know, that's that's actually suboptimal sometimes. Whereas if you have a Zoom thing, and especially if you can actually sell people on why it's interesting, like, "Oh, hey, Kate, I'm having a call." and it's a Zoom cocktails, and it's gonna be all my most interesting journalist friends from around the world. Do you wanna come? Like that might actually seem like a pretty compelling value proposition because, oh, all of a sudden, well, it's not just people that you might know already in New York. It's like, oh, well, I've got this friend from Los Angeles and this friend from Chicago and this friend from, you know, Barcelona. And it's people you might not actually otherwise get to know or hang out with. So if you can increase the value proposition of a Zoom cocktail gathering, that's one way of doing it. But a very low-key thing, which not enough of us do, is to just reach out to colleagues that you think are interesting and just say, like, let's lay it out. Hey, Kate, I have... Realized that during COVID I pretty much didn't meet any new people, and I think it's time to correct that. So I'm reaching out to my most interesting friends. You're one of them, and I'm wondering, do you have any friends that you think would be cool for me to get to know? You know, and you can give parameters. You can be, I'd especially like to meet people in financial services, or I'd, you know, I'm especially looking to connect with, uh, with people who are doing business in China or whatever. And you know, you could say, oh yeah, well actually there is this person say, oh, would you mind introducing us? I'm just looking to connect, like no agenda, just looking to meet cool folks and maybe do a Zoom call with them. And you can say, all right. And odds are with that kind of personalized introduction and you know, the people know, it's not like you want something from them. You're just looking to make connections. They're probably in the same boat. They will probably say yes.
0: Yeah. That's a great example of, because I think I was the same way. I think everybody was the same way. It was the people that you met were the people that were in the same city that you worked in. And yeah, same. It was like, well, if you're ever in New York, you know, we'll meet up. And and that's really limiting, especially for people who obviously don't live in New York and want to make that connection, maybe want to start a career or make a career change and you're somewhere else in the country. I think pre- pandemic, that was quite a leap, you know, that was like, oh, I'm going to talk to you long distance on the phone. Like, why would I talk to you? You're not even in the same city I'm in. You know, how are we going to work together? You know, if you're working remote, it's opened up a lot of opportunities to work in fields, in locations that you were previously unavailable. And so if you're thinking of making a career change, but you're completely remote, you're in Nebraska and you want to take a job that's in New York, how can you switch jobs or even switch fields if you plan to stay completely remote, for instance, even in a different like part of the country.
1: So when it comes to switching careers or making some kind of a a larger leap, one of the principles that I talk about a lot in my first book, Reinventing You, is the fact that I'm not a huge believer in making huge leaps. This this is what stresses people out. You know, this this is what makes reinvention so daunting for people, which oftentimes means they just don't do it. They just suck it up and stay in the thing that they're unhappy with because oh, well I could never get there. What I like to think about when people are making transitions is a Venn diagram. You know, the two overlapping circles that we all learned in junior high. How can we actually make our career transition more like a Venn diagram? Because you need to be able to make some kind of a compelling argument about, you know, yes, I was doing this other thing, but my skills are are very transferable and here's how, here's why, here's how I can add value. If you literally are trying to jump from one completely separate circle to another separate circle, this is going to be a little bit challenging. It's like, well, yeah, what expertise do you have? What are you bringing? This doesn't seem relevant. But if there's overlap, you can begin to make that case. So, I would say if you are looking to sort of, you know, switch, I mean, let's say you're in Nebraska and you've been working in financial services, but you decide against all better judgment that you want to become a journalist. <laughs> well, why
0: ever would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> It's a booming field. (laughs) Booming, exactly.
1: (laughs) You know, if you suddenly say, oh, well, I want to get a job in New York at the Media Center and be a journalist. If you have no experience doing that, that's going to be a hard sell. So probably the better option is to maybe get a job in Nebraska as a journalist and get that experience so that you're able to claim, maybe you're leveraging your local Nebraska connections you already have to transition because they know you, they know you're smart. They know that even if you haven't done journalism before, you'll pick it up, you know the community, and then you can do that and at least then in the next career iteration, when you want to work for Fast Company or whatever it is, you can say, here's my clips. Here are my journalistic bona fides. And yeah, I've done it in Nebraska. So therefore, I can do it for you.
0: As you're saying this, I wonder, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, well, should I just leave my location off of my resume and not be clear about where I am, get them to love me, and, you know, because a lot of people, you know, our offices are still remote. I think if, you know, we're doing hiring right now, even if the person was in the same city, we would probably still interview them over Zoom. What is your feeling about that kind of like, oh, let me hold back the fact that I'm remote until they decide they love me. And then like, oh, by the way, I'm in Nebraska. I'm I'm not in the same place. How, how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I think this is very much like, online dating like how much <laughs> mm, should i tell them i still live with my ex <laughs> like that, that would yeah. be that would be a little bit of a deal breaker for some people i think this is a place where you know transparency is important but also the thing to keep in mind is that so many companies are radically changing their policies right now i mean i walk around downtown manhattan and i'm seeing signs like please make sandwiches for us. We will give you a 401k. Please be, a. am not joking. Please be a barber. You can make six figures. Like what? Like we're having this crazy talent shortage right now from everything from the sandwich makers to insert whatever your field is. And in addition to that, you have employers that are completely freaked out because studies are showing that anywhere from 25 to 50 percent of their employees want to quit you cannot clearly have 50 percent of your employees quit suddenly so they are wanting to give concessions to employees that they would not have considered before and so if you are in nebraska but you're willing to relocate certainly say that that's useful if you are in Nebraska and you are not willing to relocate, I mean, that's going to come up eventually. And so, I mean, this is about preventing disappointment on both sides. You know, you don't want to go out on five dates and feel like you really have a connection with somebody and then you tell them the thing and they're like, oh, God, no. And then you're like, oh, I knew it. I knew that thing. And, you know, it's like your worst fear has come true. Well, similarly, just be upfront. Look, hey, I live in Nebraska. I would be delighted to work from remote for you if you want me to come in, you know, whatever, once a month. If you want me to come in uh, twice a year, I'm happy to do that. But I'm based in Nebraska. A lot of companies now, way more than ever would have before, would be like, well, that sounds okay.
0: Yeah. Again, at Fast Company, I think we've had remote employees pre-pandemic, but- Now, even more so when we're hiring, there's not a lot of geographical constraints on where the person lives. And I think on the employer end, you can always make it easier by putting that in the job posting, right? Like remote applicants, you know, welcome, can work from anywhere sort of thing. Unless it's crucial to be in the same city, like to do the job in the same city, why not? You know, why not open your talent pool to the entire world rather than just the people who happen to be able to afford to live in New York City or wherever you are.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, in in my new book, The Long Game, I actually profile a cool woman named Anne-Marie Neal. For 25 years, she's built this great career. She's been, um, you know, for years, this CHRO of multiple companies, including Cisco, you know, some very big companies, doing it from this little town 90 minutes outside of Denver in the mountains. And you know, this was like unheard of. I mean, now like everybody's doing it, but this was completely unheard of. But she had her line down. She said for all of these interviews, even 20 years ago, when people are like, what are you talking about? You have to move to San Francisco or whatever. She'd say, sorry, do you want the best person for the job? Or do you want the best person in your zip code? And they were like, oh. Oh,
0: that is a power line. I love it.
1: Right. And now everyone is on that page.
0: Yeah. I sound like a broken record because I say it probably every episode, but it really took the future of work and moved it forward 20 years because there were so many companies that were stuck in that way of thinking, right? Of like, well, of course you have to come into the office to do your work. And I say, if the majority of your work is done in front of a computer, you can have a computer anywhere and you can do your job anywhere. Don't you want the person who's best for the job, not the person who is willing to sacrifice the most to move to that city or who c- happens to have the means to live in that city? Like, It's really quite limiting when you look, like you said, just within your zip code. So one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, you know, working remotely has been a boon in some ways for people with disabilities, for, for people who at-home work is easier than than in-office work. How do you see that fitting into the whole picture?
1: Well, this is one of the positive benefits of remote and hybrid work for sure, is that for the first time, many people with disabilities have really felt like they're on an even playing field. If you are... Operating in an office, and everyone is constantly seeing and reminded that, oh, well, she's in a wheelchair, or if you have a hearing uh, loss or something like that, you know, now you can have Zoom transcripts that are done live. And it's just an incredibly liberating force to have people be able to interact and to experience it so that your disability is not. Either being perceived or you're not concerned that it's being perceived as front and center, the first thing that people notice about your identity. Instead, you're able to work the way we all want to work, which is being evaluated based on the merits of our efforts. So the pandemic unleashed a lot of negative things, but that actually is a genuinely positive consequence. I think something that could be a potential double edged sword, this is not specifically related to disability rights. But when it comes to hybrid or remote accommodations, early studies have shown that some of the people who are most excited about taking this up are people, specifically women, with young kids who like to have more flexibility with regard to that. And I think the thing that we need to be careful of is that we do not revert to a system where there's essentially a permanent mommy track for people. And the men who perhaps have fewer caregiving responsibilities or have someone else who is taking care of that are able to be in the office, going all in, networking, relationship building. And meanwhile, hybrid or, or remote work becomes the province of people who are a little bit disadvantaged based on their caregiving status. I mean, it's wonderful to have that flexibility and be able to do the work, but we have to be mindful both ourselves in terms of being proactive about our networking efforts, but also at a structural level, we need to be mindful as corporations that we are not creating a system that disadvantages people who take advantage of those options.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a really important point. You know, mommy tracking happened a lot pre-pandemic both with the perception of, you know, mothers being less serious about their jobs once they became mothers, whether, you know, it was true or not. And with, you know, mothers, as you said, like having more caregiving responsibilities and usually being the ones that had to take off when the kid was sick or leave to pick the kid up. And now if women are opting for remote work or opting for hybrid work and men aren't, you mentioned that it's kind of the onus is a little bit on the individual to ramp up their networking and all of, all of the things that we've talked about. What can the company do, though? What should a manager do to make sure that they're not even unconsciously mommy tracking all of their remote employees and favoring all of their in-person employees?
1: Well, I think at the corporate level, this is something where just as you know for individuals we suddenly have to become more conscious of something that we never were before which is all right i've got to make the effort to get to know people i've got to put things on the calendar companies and the leaders within them need to suddenly become conscious that if we go back to the way that things were pre pandemic oh yeah, okay, we can we can do remote. Yeah, we'll plug you in. It's going to be insufficient because it was not a level playing field before. That always was a disadvantaged status. You know, just by way of example, I was at a, a meeting last night and hey, casting no aspersions. This was like a little nonprofit gathering and, you know, they were, they were doing their best. They're not set up, but corporations are set up. And so at this meeting, it was like 10 people in person And then there were two zooming in from California and literally it was someone with a laptop who was like spinning the laptop around and holding the laptop and, you know, oh, can you see? And, you know, meanwhile, I'm looking at the screen and it's like showing everyone's legs and, you know, okay, well now it's time for Danny to talk. And, you know, Danny's like, (laughs) and no one can hear. And in a scenario like that, of course, Danny's going to be less relevant. Of course, it's just not going to, be fully equal or integrated. And so again, this was scrappy little nonprofit, they're trying their hardest, and so there's no blame. But if there is a corporate structure that enables thoughtfulness and equality, and okay, we're gonna do this right. We're actually gonna invest in technology and we're gonna create procedures where managers are going to be expected to ensure that at a very basic level, everyone can hear, everyone can be heard. So that information can be transmitted, then that is going to be really essential to make sure that we are not disadvantaging an entire class of people who are opting for remote or hybrid and therefore making that technically an option, but not really an option.
0: Yeah, that's such an important distinction. And I think we all have that experience of pre-pandemic, the like handful of people who were remote were on the speakerphone in the middle of the conference table and nobody could really hear them. We didn't use Zoom a lot, so you couldn't really see them. They were just this disembodied voice. They were forgotten about. They weren't as included as the people around the table. And I've heard some suggestions that in person in office meetings should still be on Zoom. Everybody should still have their laptops in front of them so that to level that playing field that even though you're sitting next to somebody, you're all still communicating in the same way, which sounds a little less than ideal, but is certainly one one way to level the playing field. So I think that's actually all that I have for you. Dory Clark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a delightful conversation and really empowering and informative and has made me feel good about my
1: decision to work remotely. I love it. I'm all about championing the future of work. So thank you for having me, Kate.
0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Do you have questions about how to develop in your career while remote? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen.